Hello and welcome to Scary Pair, a weekly horror movie podcast between partners. I'm Nine. And I'm Opal. And we're back. Uh, This week we watched Friday the 13th, 1980. But before we get into that, Opal, do you want to talk about our week in film? Yeah, for sure. We saw a couple movies this week. Um, First we saw Signs for the first time. Neither of us had seen it before. Yeah, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, yeah. I really liked it. It was pretty good. It's it's funny. I've seen a lot of his body of work, as you may know. But um, I somehow avoided the good one the whole time. Yeah, I thought... Isn't that interesting? So I haven't seen um, his first movie that's supposed to be really good. Oh, right. Yeah. Sixth Sense. Uh, the Sixth Sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I don't know if that one's better or worse than Signs, but Signs is definitely my favorite of his movies that I've seen. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of like... You're spoiled for choice. I know. <laughs> there's a bunch of great performances. Um, it has like all of his bullshit in it. All of the things that make like an M. Night Shyamalan movie kind of bad and cringe are in there. But for whatever reason, it just all kind of worked this time. I think the main reason is because it has a sense of humor about it and how cheesy it is. Totally. And I, th- I think the rest of his movies are just taking themselves so seriously. It's so funny. And I feel like there's a lot more, like, restraint in this movie. Like a lot I, of... I get why people were saying the Spielberg thing. Absolutely. It's totally doing that. Um, and I think it I think it works. I had a great time watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fuck Mel Gibson and everything, but he does, like, a good job in that movie. He does a great job. Yeah. Uh, and it's really funny to me that Joaquin Phoenix is playing, like, a, a meathead, considering he's just coming off of playing, like, a evil Roman emperor and gladiator, like, two years before. Same thing. It's very different. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, great movie. And then we saw another non-horror movie, but it was still pretty good. Yeah, we saw The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the Nicolas Cage film from this year. Uh, that movie was great. I liked it a lot. We're in the cage It is just like a career renaissance for Nicolas Cage. Like, everything that he's put out in the last, like, five years, I want to say, has just been very good. Do you think that means he's out of debt by now? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, Pedro Pascal is doing an amazing performance in that movie. I feel like I heard a lot about how that movie was pretty good, but I didn't hear enough about how good Pedro Pascal is. He's like just as charismatic. He's fantastic, though. I mean, he's a great actor, but like he's he is matching Nicolas Cage like beat for beat the whole movie, and it really makes the movie. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had fun with that. Uh. But should we get into our movie for the week? Yeah, let's get into Friday the 13th. All right. Yeah, so it is the 1980 film directed by Sean Cunningham. Um, Should we just get into, should we intro it all? I mean, obviously, this is a big horror movie franchise. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Yes, I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah, I'm sure people have heard of this one. Although, I don't know how often people actually go back and watch the old movies from the 80s. I don't know. I feel like people revisit them a lot. Because I feel like um, it's a franchise that has like a lot of popular iconography, um, at least when I was a kid, definitely. Yes. But it had a totally different kind of identity from this movie, I feel like. 
Oh, no. It doesn't feel like a Friday the 13th movie at all. Yeah. But let's get into the summary, and we can kind of get into more additional stuff as yes. we get to it. Yes. Uh, so we start with Camp Crystal Lake in 1958, um, and there are, like, it's like a Christian camp or something like that. Uh, teens are singing a song. I think um, it's just camp. It's just a summer it's camp, just... yeah. Um, there is a... We get kind of a camera POV of somebody, like, prowling into a cabin along with the uh, iconic... Uh, sound it's uh it's classic uh the music kicks in every time we go to these like pov shots which they use a lot um you catch on pretty quick that this is supposed to be like the killer's perspective the killer like follows some teens up into a cabin where they're going to uh fuck fornicate yeah uh and stabs them uh, and we get a freeze frame on the girl's screaming face which is very 1980 yeah, she's not doing a very good job at getting away, exactly. She's just like, uh, get away from me. <laughs> she's like boxed, Don't look at me. She's like boxed into the corner and is like throwing cardboard <laughs> at the, the killer. And just, yeah, it's uh, pretty pathetic. A for effort. We get into our opening credit sequence. I love the music here. Uh, the music in this movie, pretty good. Yeah. And I noticed it only really plays when, like, the killer is either... Um, doing something <laughs> or just about to be doing something to kind of build tension in all of the like normal scenes it's basically silent it's just the people talking so i thought that was interesting yeah it's, it's mostly a bunch of shrieking violins so not a good migraine movie but no it's okay. no uh anyway we jump to friday june 13th and it's the present and we meet uh annie she's a girl going to work at a camp she goes and pets a dog at a gas station next to a gas pump that says contains lead in big letters on it. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> uh, she is warned by the locals um, that Camp Crystal Lake is a little bit weird. Specifically, um, Ralph, the town loon. The town doomsayer, I should say. It seems to be what he does, and they accept that. Yeah, everyone in the town is like, oh, Ralph just gets drunk and goes on about the curse at Camp Crystal Lake sometimes and disappears. What are you um, gonna do? That's Ralph. And I feel like the movie is maybe kind of trying to throw you off that this guy is the killer. I was gonna say the, the killer. same thing. Um, but they just kind of, like, fake you out on this one. Um, so anyway, a truck driver decides that he'll drive her uh, halfway to the camp. And he says the camp is jinxed. There was uh, the double murder in 58, which we saw earlier. And then there was a drowning the year before. There have been fires. It's, um, a, it's a really interesting order to tell those events in, I it, would say. It's it's definitely um, kind of setting us up for later events. Um, and no culprit was ever found. And he says her head is full of rocks and that she should quit. This man hates children so much. Well... You know, I thought they were going to do something scary with this guy because he's like kind of a gruff truck driver, but he's just a nice guy. He's like, hey, look out for I yourself. I wouldn't say he's nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's kind of begrudgingly, he'll take you down the road if he's going the same direction. He reminds me of my grandpa. <laughs> a little bit. He is a little bit like your grandpa. My, my grandpa, Jimmy, was also a semi-truck driver for a period. I don't know that I knew that about Jimmy. It makes 
a little bit of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> anyway, uh, Annie gets dropped off at a cemetery. Uh, and then we cut over to Ned, Jack, and Marcy, who are three teens. And they're driving into camp. And they're like horned up young kids, basically. The banjo music is very aggressive. Yeah. And we meet uh, Kevin Bacon. I guess this is his second ever like big movie. Yeah. Um, he had been in Animal House like two years before this. Right, right. As the kind of bully greaser guy. Yeah. Uh, but it's a pretty minor, minor role. Now we cut to, uh, they get into camp and there's an older guy, Steve, the camp owner, chopping wood. And there's another girl named Alice. And I think it's kind of implied that... That they're a thing. They're a, uh, yeah, that yeah. Steve and Alice are maybe fucking, but... Yeah. I wanted to ask... I, I just needed this opportunity to ask if you ever went to summer camp also. So that's a complicated thing because I had like an after-school daycare and I would go to the after-school daycare during the summer. Um, so it wasn't really like camp. Like I didn't go Not out exactly. into the woods. Um, it was just like my normal daycare center. We would go on like field trips and stuff like that. And I did one time for school go on uh, camping out in a cabin. Okay, the, the reason I ask is because I, I had a stint at camp one year, and all of the counselors are definitely fucking. Definitely, right? A hundred percent. Like, they would give each other flowers for unknown reasons. Mm. There would be uh, talk about who was uh, leaving whose room. And honestly, that discussion shouldn't have been around us. Probably we were, not. We were like 10, 11 years old. But it's 100%, right? Like, this is just what happens. Well, it's funny because I was doing some research for this movie, and I guess the writer had never gone to summer camp. Huh. But still somehow, like, perfectly, I it guess, is, captured. It is the perfect uh, atmosphere for summer camp. Yeah. Um. So all of the, like, camp counselors are coming in early to, like, clean up the camp and get ready for the kids to arrive. Um, we get more killer Cam here stalking Alice through the woods. So Steve decides he's going to head into town for some supplies, and the kids are, like, goofing off. Um, there's comments made like, next year you're going to tell me there's poisonous snakes in the cabin. It's not a poisonous snake. Or there's crocodiles in the in the lake. Anyway. They're just being stupid. These are some stupid-ass teenagers. These are some stupid kids. Uh, so, yeah, we get back to Annie, who is still hitchhiking. This time she gets into a mysterious Jeep. Um, the perspective of the Jeep driver is shot just like the killer cam like we've gotten to this point to kind of clue you in that maybe something's wrong. It clues me in that the killer has a driver's license. It clues me in that the killer drives a Jeep. <laughs> That's also a great point. Uh, all of Annie's lines are kind of misses here. She's She really likes kids. Uh, uh, but that makes them sound like goats or something. <laughs> yeah, she... I hate it when people call them kids. I, like, call them children or something like that. It's Miss America bullshit. Yeah. Uh, but the Jeep misses the turn for the Camp Crystal Lake, and the music kicks up, and Annie kind of freaks out, and she jumps out of the Jeep and runs into the woods. Um, the killer gives chase. We never see the killer's face at any point. We just see, um, like, a pair of shoes. No, we, we have no idea what they look like. Eventually, the killer catches up with Annie and slits her throat. Um, we cut back to the camp where various teens are goofing off around the lake. Most of them are very fundamentally unlikable. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, they're very obnoxious. The main scene that happens here is Ned uh, fakes drowning. 
in order to um who has ever laughed at this this is always a joke in movies and i don't think anyone ever does this uh yeah everyone kind of teams up to save him and then he uses it as an opportunity to feel up one of the girls that saves him yeah uh, which is gross uh <laughs> alice finds a snake in one of the cabins and every single team piles <laughs> they in go, they go in one at a time they're like "Ooh, a snake uh, and eventually they kill it <laughs> Um, I have to say, there are too many teens whose name is said, like, one time in this movie. <laughs> uh, eventually, a cop shows up looking for Ralph, the town loon. Uh, he calls him the town crazy. No, the town loon is that bird in the background. <laughs> Which I, I have to tell you about my loon information. The, the little, like, woo! The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That little bird. I know, yes. that, that's a common loon, and they don't live in New Jersey. So I'm that person now who hears a bird in a movie, and I'm like, that bird's not supposed to not be accurate. there. Not <laughs> accurate. Uh, anyway, the cop thinks that the kids are maybe smoking some weed. Uh, <laughs> I, I wrote down, he, he asked What does for, he say here? He asked for the Colombian gold, the grass, the marijuana, the hash, the weed, the nugs, the loud, the kush, the sticky. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> for all of that? No, no I made some of those up. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, uh, we ain't gonna stand for no weirdness out here. It's too late, partner. <laughs> anyway, uh, he drives off after another call comes in. Uh, it turns out that Ralph is hiding in the pantry in one of the cabins. Uh, and he says that God sent him to warn the kids that they're doomed to be cursed if they stay at the camp. You never know when you open a door in this town if Ralph is just gonna be there <laughs> telling you you're gonna die. Uh, and then he just leaves. Uh, he rides out on his bike. Yeah, he's a cute little bike. He just <laughs> rides away. The way this man rides the bike, his upper body is, like, completely still. Isn't that how you ride a bike? It is, but it is a little bit creepy to have this, like, kind of old, weird guy just be, like, frozen from the waist up. Why are guys on bikes so scary? I don't know. There's also... I've made a note here. There's a bunch of Native American iconography in this camp in a way that feels super weird and, like, not intentional at all. I, I think it is kind of a product of old Americana kind of borrowing that imagery in places where Native Americans maybe once were but aren't anymore. Yeah, like, it's a camp in the middle of the New Jersey wilderness, so maybe we're supposed to take that they're, like, borrowing from some of that. But it's just weird. Um, yeah, I, I, it's entirely an American phenomenon to kind of use that stuff. Yeah. Even when they probably shouldn't be. Yeah, so. like, there's a scene of Ned with, like, a Native American headdress making a fucking ass of himself at some point. Uh, it just it just makes you hate the character more, more yeah. than anything. Um, at this point, everyone is wondering why Annie hasn't shown up, because she's supposed to be the cook. Um, also... There's something off with the camp power lines, so they have to run an emergency generator out in the shed to keep the lights on. Uh, and Ned sees Jack uh, and Marcy flirting out on the dock, and he kind of angrily wanders off and maybe sees somebody in the distance, and then uh, we don't see anything from him. Uh, out of nowhere, a thunderstorm starts. <laughs> yeah, it indicates there's a thunderstorm by flashing a flashlight into people's faces <laughs> a little bit, and they're like, ooh, look at that thunderstorm over there and it's like i'll take your word for it buddy uh, at this point marcy tells jack that she had a dream about a storm where the rain turned into blood and he's like that's pretty cool 
Yeah, he's not interested at all. <laughs> he's just like, that's nice, honey. And cool story, girl. <laughs> uh, they go into a cabin to uh, do the deed as the storm kicks up. And Brenda, Bill, and Alice kind of... Uh, Peppermint, Patty, Schrader, and, <laughs> and Lucy. I, I promise these are all characters with names. I had to look some of these up. I don't know their freaking names. Uh, they all pile into a different cabin to play Strip Monopoly. <laughs> the worst strip game you could probably ever pick. It's ridiculous. Also, they're uh, smoking some weed and drinking at this point. Uh, Excuse me, Colombian gold. <laughs> They call it weed in this scene. Sure they do. The hash. <laughs> uh, in the cabin, uh, Jack and Marcy are fucking. Uh, the camera pans up to the top bunk of the bunk bed, and Ned is on there with his throat cut. Uh, they just didn't see him in the dark. No. When you're horny, who cares? Right. Marcy leaves after uh, the deed is done to go to the bathroom. and This is a very responsible movie. Always pee after sex. Yeah, don't, don't get a UTI. Yeah. Jack is then murdered by the killer via, like, an arrow through the neck from up underneath the bed, which is the coolest kill so far. It's gotta be the most iconic kill from the movie, right? I mean, previously, up to this point, we've only seen, like, throat cuts, basically. It's always the one I think of. Yeah, this is a pretty cool, like, prosthetic moment where you can kind of see Kevin Bacon's head and then the prosthetic (laughs) body from the neck down. Some of the prosthetics are a little bit off. They're more gray than anything, but I still think it works. Uh, Marcy then gets axed through the head in the bathroom shortly after this. Yeah. Back to the other kids. Brenda thinks she left the window of her cabin open, so she ends the strip Monopoly game. Uh, just runs out uh, in like a raincoat and her underwear to go back to her cabin. A lot of running around in our underwear. We cut back to Steve, who's holed up in a diner to get out of the rain, uh, and he says he needs to get back to the camp because the counselors are literal babes in the woods. <laughs> uh, nice man. But uh, he's driving through the rain and his car gets stuck in a ditch. So a random cop passing by picks him up. A lot of random cops in this movie. There's more than one. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it seems excessive. But they never do anything. Like you're always expecting the cops to arrive at like a critical moment and it just doesn't happen. Nah. Barbara has a near miss with the killer in the bathroom. But then she goes to lie down to read in her bed and hears like a woman's voice calling for help outside. It's like the most pitiful little voice. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it's coming from outside to me. It sounds like a tiny bug is yelling in her cabin. <laughs> help! Oh, like the fly. Help! Help me! Uh, she wanders into the woods and out onto the archery range. Uh, all of a sudden, all the lights turn on in the archery range and it's it cuts away. Yeah. Bill and Alice go out to investigate, um, and they find a bloodied axe in one of the beds of the cabins, and they can't find any of the other kids, um, so they decide to break into the office to call somebody, but the phone line's been cut. Uh, And also, the car that they drove up in won't start because of the rain, Um, so they decide they're just going to hope everything is a prank and wait for Steve to come back. Uh... Seems like you would want to have a radio or something. Yeah, seems like in a camp... Isn't that a part of the survival kit or whatever? Yeah, shouldn't they have some kind of way to do an SOS or something like that? They're very secluded up in these woods. You can poke holes in it all day long, man. Sure. Anyway, uh, Steve and the cop are having a conversation about how it's Friday the 13th and the full moon, which... Uh, The the classic double whammy. Yeah, and uh, the cop says the full moon upsets people, makes them nuts. 
Anyway. Uh, I've, I've heard that. The cop gets a call to go um, do something. So he's like, hey, I just got to drop you off and kick Steve out. Um, Steve makes it back to the camp, but then is immediately just killed by the killer. No, this isn't a character. <laughs> yeah. The killer then turns off the emergency generator, which uh, kind of lures Alice and Bill out to fix it. See, I read that it was implied that she's having an affair with Bill. Did you get that at all? I didn't really get that. I got no, that Bill I... was, like, flirting with the other girls because everyone's flirting with each other in this movie in general. Yeah. Um, I, I knew to look for it this time, but I still don't really see it, if n- that was the intention. N- no, it seemed more to me that, like, Brenda, who started the strip Monopoly game, was, like, hitting on Bill because he was the guy there. And then Alice is, like, fully clothed the whole time, so it, I kind of took it, like... I'll talk about that later. <laughs> sure. But I kind of took it, like, she wasn't as interested in, like, the romantic aspect with the other counselors. And that yeah. was more of a... They're just kind of stuck together, paired off at the end. Yeah. Um, anyway, Bill uh, kind of disappears while out at the generator, and Alice uh, goes to sleep, wakes up, makes some coffee, eventually decides to go uh, out and look for Bill. And she finds his body pinned to the storage shed by a bunch of arrows, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, a lot of arrows. Because there is an archery field, I guess. Right. Uh, she then, like, barricades herself in a cabin and arms herself with a baseball bat in, like, the longest and silliest barricade scene <laughs> I've ever seen in a movie. She just keeps like throwing random chairs and detritus. <laughs> yeah, and screaming like that the whole time. Uh, <laughs> window, window. Yeah, immediately uh, Marcy's dead body is flung in through a window, which freaks her out. Because there are windows surrounding the cabin. Exactly. Suddenly a jeep shows up outside, and the lights flash, and a woman, an old lady named Mrs. Voorhees, arrives to try and um, calm down Alice. But Alice is saying, oh no, everyone's dead. Miss Voorhees is, like, very strange and unbothered by everyone being dead. She says, I'm not afraid. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm built different. Uh, She tells Alice that Steve should have never opened back up the summer camp and that her son, Jason, was drowned while the camp counselors were fucking. This is the last 20 minutes of the movie where they say the name Jason. Yeah, it takes to the last 15 minutes, I think, for his name to even come up. And she says, you know, someone should have been watching him. And she reveals that she's been doing the murders the whole time to keep the camp from reopening. She hates teens. And now starts the longest and most drawn-out fight with the killer, where Alice will overpower her and hit her on the head with a big heavy object, and then run... She does this several times, and she's like, surely she won't get up this time. Yeah, she just ends up running to another location, hitting her with another big heavy object, knocking her out, running to a new location, rinse and repeat, until eventually um, they're like wrestling out on the uh, lake beach, and... Alice grabs, like, a big machete knife and, in slow motion, decapitates Mrs. Voorhees. It's pretty cool. It's pretty sick. Uh, Sweater spotless. Also, I gotta say, Betsy Palmer's performance as Mrs. Voorhees in this is pretty scary. Oh, it makes the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think this would be a movie without her. I guess her last role before this was, like, in 1959. So... (laughs) Tw- so, uh, yeah, like 20 years. So she was just happy to, like, 
have work to do. Yeah. Uh, and she gives a great performance. She seems like... Oh, she's fantastic. Uh, yeah, she seems like totally bewitched and like Jason is like talking to her in her Killer head. Killer mommy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jason. Uh, Alice decides that she's going to ride out onto the lake in a canoe where she's going to sleep all night. And then uh, in the morning, the police finally arrive. But a horribly deformed Jason rises a up out of the water. A little slime boy comes and gets her. A horrible little swampman uh, rises up and pulls her down in the water. And then, uh, cut, she wakes up. It was all a dream. Uh, except it wasn't. Uh, the mur- maybe, it, maybe it was. Maybe uh, it wasn't. The murder still happened. Everyone else is still dead. Um, and nobody found Jason, the boy, out in the lake. What about the boy? He's still out there. What about the boy? And it cuts to the the lake as the final scene. Yeah. Uh, that was Friday the 13th. How did you feel watching this movie again? So I've seen it a few times. I feel like I have a little bit more fun with it every time I see it. Just because you kind of know the beats of it. And you get to look forward to those last 20 minutes as the best part. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I, we talked about how the music is kind of like holding off, holding off, kind of in and out the whole movie. The last 30 minutes, it's just going the whole time. Yeah. Uh, which Those is great. strings are kicking. Yeah. Um, I felt like they did a really interesting job of like not showing the killer very much. And then when they oh, finally. they don't show it at all. Basically, no. And then when they finally get Mrs. Voorhees on screen, I thought, you know, the performance was great. Enough that, like, I almost wish she was in the movie as, like, an innocent old lady that they talked to for a few scenes. It does feel like they could plant her somewhere else um, as kind of an Easter egg. Maybe if she was, like, in the cafe or, like, at the beginning, maybe. But I wouldn't want too much of her because I feel like the moments she is there are just really earned. Yeah, they hit really hard um, because... You basically just haven't gotten any of that up until that point. Yeah. Yeah, this is my second time seeing this movie. Um, we marathoned, like, almost all of these. It uh, was... Maybe a couple of years ago? I think it was last year or the year before. Yeah. I'm um, leaning towards last year, though. I'm leaning towards the year before, but who knows. <laughs> uh, we watched the first, like, seven or eight of these or something like that. All, all of them except the remake. Yeah, all kind of, like, back to back to back. Um the first three movies are all kind of the same movie and all pretty good. And um, four. I would say four is as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you feel overall about like the Friday the 13th franchise without getting too spoilery for the other movies? Yeah, so no spoilers. I definitely feel like um, they're very formulaic. They are very strict about the formula that they follow. So they're kind of a good horror comfort movie for a lot of people and i definitely understand that a lot of them get pretty goofy though and not not such a good way once you get past kind of the initial barrage in the early 80s it gets kind of bad um the first four i would say are the ones you're in it for and then watch six yeah five is pretty terrible six is my favorite six is the best one uh yeah that one it gets like it really leans into the kind of late 80s campiness and really turns it on and i really in a way that i just really love it's super fun yeah um doesn't really change up too much in the formula but it's just so bonkers from start to finish that i enjoy it a lot yeah which which one was your least favorite would you say 
Um, I would say Jason Goes to Manhattan. I think that's like <laughs> seven or eight. Um, that movie, um, Jason's barely in it, and they don't really go to Manhattan until the last 30 minutes yeah. of the movie. Um, it's just dreadful. Most of it uh, is just not a great time. Yeah, I feel like mine would be Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. Just no one's in that movie. And I feel like Jason X would be the popular answer, but that movie is too ridiculous to fully hate for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think Jason X is uh, way more fun than those other movies we listed. It's Jason in space. And we should talk about Jason. The character of... The elephant in the room. Jason. The little boy, Jason. Jason. He's not in this movie. <laughs> no, he's not a character. Uh, we get the one scene of this like horrible, deformed creature rising up out of the lake to to kill Alice, and that's basically it. Um, and, you know, I still think it's really effective. I do not know how they go from there to the hockey mask. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's the DNA of that is in the second movie, because clearly they were planning a sequel from the start. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the ending kind of ending with he's still out there. You know, it's clear that this movie wanted to be like a big commercial success. Um, And the next one came out the year after. The year after. It must have been planned for. Absolutely. Um, But I think the kind of identity of Jason is not really there in this movie. And I don't think it hurts it at all. Um, in a way that you wouldn't expect, given the way people talk about Friday the 13th now. It's basically synonymous with Jason Voorhees, the big dude in the hockey mask. I, I, t- I kind of take it as they're talking about the franchise rather than this first movie, Friday the 13th, proper. Right. Because yeah. um, it's just not the same type of thing. He's yeah. not in it. So getting a little bit into the history of this movie, it was directed by Sean Cunningham, Um he previously had helped um, Wes Craven's career kind of get started with The Last House on the Left in 1972. Um, but then he didn't really want to be known only for schlocky horror movies, so he kind of branched out after that. But, Too late. But then in 1978, uh, Halloween happened, and that was a huge commercial success. Um, and Cunningham was able to get some funding for a horror movie as basically just a copy of yeah. that movie. Halloween is all over this. You can't talk about one without talking about the other. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to get into some numbers here. Um, Friday the 13th is 95 minutes, $550,000 budget, and made $60 million in the box office. Halloween is 91 minutes. 300,000 budget and 70 million in the box office. So very similar. Very similar um to the point where like Cunningham has come out and said like yeah, we were trying to capture Make a that Halloween. basically. Um and you know, I like this movie. I don't think I like it as much as Halloween, but I definitely say I would like Halloween more. Um and when this movie came out, it was critically really criticized for very obviously trying to be a Halloween. Yes. Um it's funny how uh, kind of every movie we've talked about has, like, another movie that came out two years or so before it that it's kind of chasing. Like, we had... Oh, that's right, now that you mention it. Like, we had um, The Ring and The Grudge, and then we had um, Saw and Insidious as kind of, like, movies that they're trying to capture the spirit of somewhat. And this one is definitely, you know, connected to Halloween in an interesting way. Yeah, but I also think there's a point to be made where, like, all of these slashers are kind of copying each other's homework a little bit. Like, you could say Friday the 13th is kind of riffing off of Halloween, and Halloween is riffing off of 
Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And uh, Chainsaw Massacre is ripping off of Psycho. Like, you could go on forever. Do you want to talk a little bit about, like, the slasher fic phenomenon in the 70s and 80s? Oh, yeah. I would love to. I mean, I don't have much research on this. I mean, obviously, it's a big cultural moment in America and a big piece of... All of these movies are, like, um, kind of moral stories, uh, especially this one. They definitely are. This one is absolutely about kind of irresponsible teens uh, having sex and doing drugs. Um, you you could say this is where the trope 100% comes from. Like, this is the movie that Cabin in the Woods basically is making fun of. Right? Absolutely. And what people think of when they think of slashers and, like, don't have sex or you'll die or, like, the final girl phenomenon. Like, that's kind of where it comes from. And I think, like you mentioned, it's really important that... The final girl, Alice, who makes it to the end, is the person who never has sex and who never takes off her she, clothes. She does not take off. She's the only one who doesn't take off her shirt during the Monopoly game. And I'm like, that's just where it comes from, yeah, isn't it? exactly. And then, yeah, do you have anything about just, like, the cultural fear of, like, the serial killer that you want to get into? Or, I mean, it's clearly all over these movies. Yeah, I mean... We first started talking about serial killers in the 70s and 80s, and that's kind of where most of these very popular slashers come from, is during that time when it was something that people were thinking about. But I feel like for the same reason, that's why they're not as effective anymore, and why you don't see as many of them. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that a lot of, like, 80s slasher movies have, like, a characteristic slasher. They have, like, a character who is scary and who is, like, a boogeyman out there, kind of similar to, like, a serial killer is talked about in a way that's not really true anymore. Um, Not in the same way, I would say. Yeah, and I think the cultural imaginary of horror has shifted to a much more, like, environmental kind of horror where, like... Now, today, the things that we're more culturally afraid of is, like... Existentialism and grief. <laughs> exactly. Or, like, broadly, like, um, culture declining or something like that. And a lot of horror movies are kind of tapping into that. As opposed yeah. to this central, like, killer figure. Yeah, because when I do see slashers now, obviously, they are playing off of the old formula to a way, like, in right. response to that. Yeah. Because we recently saw the movie X, and that's yeah. also very evident in that movie no yeah i think um this aesthetic in particular is really strong and i think that's why we're still seeing movies in this style as kind of a throwback um but yeah people don't quite make them like they used to and in that way it's not part of the mainstream hollywood horror ethos and kind of the way it is not in the same way no and i mean i was never really a slasher person to begin with that's just not something that affects me because my mom is paranoid and she raised me on forensic files. That's just a part of it. <laughs> sure. Um, and I mean, this movie comes out in a really interesting time. Um, so, you know, obviously American genre cinema um, is really picking up. You have Star Wars coming out right around this time. Yes. You've got Jaws. Um, you have... Uh, that uh, shark is also a serial killer. Absolutely. I mean, you have um, Dawn of the Dead by George Romero comes out two years before this, and his special effects guy, Tom Savini, is the special effects makeup guy for this movie. Yeah. he was. I mean, he was big in the 80s, so. Yeah, you can tell they're trying to kind of capture... This is very much like a commercial marketing move, like Kevin Bacon is in this movie right after the success of Animal House. Um, 
It's also kind of going after uh, Meatballs, the 1979 <laughs> Bill Murray summer camp comedy. That's uh, interesting. It, it's definitely um, taking some of that. Um, as part of that, you know, this was filmed at like a real summer camp in New Jersey. and Yeah, I, I saw that they have like murals and things dedicated to Jason. Yeah, they have like a cool like memorabilia area. I love um, that. And basically everything in this movie was already there. Um, mm-hmm. The only set they built was the bathroom. Yeah, that budget. <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, um, to kind of sell this movie, um, before the film was even shot or the screenplay was even done, Cunningham put an ad out in Variety calling it the most terrifying film ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well. So you can tell this movie is definitely trying to get a piece of commercial success in a very, like, kind of naked way. Um, But at the same time, I think it just works as, like, an enjoyable slasher movie. I mean... What you just said is interesting because I don't feel like I've ever heard anyone describe this movie as scary. Because my grandparents have a lot of things to say about movies like Pet Cemetery and stuff, and my parents do, but I've never heard this in that same breath. I mean, do you want to get into maybe rating how scary you thought this movie was are we going into ratings already i think i'm ready yeah we're ready let's go let's go all right our first category is spookiness uh one to five how spooky do you think this movie is for reasons i have given that slashers don't really work on me as much it's just not my bag i would probably give it maybe a two I like I like the little spooky little boy who jumps out of the lake at the end, but that's about it. Um, I like this movie on spookiness a lot more. Um, all of the scares are super telegraphed. Um, obviously with the change in like camera direction and music, you kind of see them coming a mile away. Uh-huh. Um, at the same time, I still think it builds tension pretty well. I think the music is good. I think some of the kills are kind of sick. Um, I think the vibe of, like, a haunted summer camp is, like... Oh, the summer camp is great. It's... Not only is it beautiful, but it's a spooky place to be, for sure. Absolutely. So, I would give it... I'm gonna give it, like, a three and a half for spookiness. I thought you didn't like decimals. Alright. We need to talk about this. (laughs) So, on my letterbox, I don't give decimals for my my rankings. I just give one to five. Uh Um, The reason for that is when I feel like when I'm giving an overall rating for a movie... Um, I really wanted to have like a strong system for how I rate movies that was consistent. And I felt like it was better to kind of nail myself down to whole numbers for an overall rating for that system to kind of, to kind of force me to commit to how I feel about a movie. But when we're doing something like this, where it's a composite score with a bunch of different categories and they all kind of add up on top of each other it can skew my overall feeling on the movie to not use decimals. So that's why I use them. That's not what I heard in the first episode. Listen, I'm a nerd about ranking things. Uh, I give it a 3.5 on spookiness. Watchability. I think this is probably its strongest score. It's very formulaic and you can kind of chill out and put it on anytime and be kind of interested in it. So I, I maybe give it around a 4. 4 maybe. Yeah, I like four for watchability on this. Um, the thing that I really like about it is that the kills are kind of like evenly spaced out throughout the movie. Um, 
kind of at any point you can decide to start watching a scene and uh, yeah if this is on tv you can start watching it at any time at any point like you're not gonna miss anything no. with this movie <laughs> um definitely like a couch potato movie like um you know a scene starts and you kind of can immediately tell like how somebody's going to die and that's how they die and you get to see it happen and i think that i think that all works um movies for dummies <laughs> I, I might dock it. I'm going to dock it like half a point for the. I don't know if it's just movie making is different now, but some of the pacing of the scenes are a little slow for me. Um, I think there's like scenes like the scene where she's barricading herself into the room where she's just like yelling and screaming for this takes five minutes. Five minutes is a little bit much. And I think there's some stuff early that takes a little while to get set up. And some of the dialogue is a little stilted. So. If you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? That's a question they ask, uh, to which one of the girls says, Rocky, Rocky Road. Road. <laughs> okay, but what, what would you be? What does that mean? Okay, but what flavor would you be? <laughs> you're just going to spring this on me? Well, well, you brought it up. I want to be strawberry. Oh, you're my strawberry. Shut up, that's gross. <laughs> what, what flavor would you be? Um, I want to be like a, like a black sesame flavor. Look at this hipster over here. Black sesame flavor. Whatever, it's good. It's like savory, but it's not like too sweet. It's got like a little bit of peanuttiness to it. You're going gourmet with it. Okay. I see it. What do you want me to say? Vanilla? Because I'm, 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 I'm white? Because <laughs> I'm pasty and boring? That works. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the most important rating. The Vincent Price Vamp rating. Oh, this one's good, though. Um, uh, so to explain what this rating is, it's kind of overall campiness, it's individual performances, it's like the movie's sort of charisma. This movie is very camp. It's What would you give it? I gotta give it a four for Mrs. Voorhees. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, Mrs. Voorhees is worth like an entire uh, point value just all on her own. <laughs> Maybe more she than does that. it all on her own. Whether the rest of the movie is boring or not, I just think it's worth it for her. And her being like, kill her, mommy. Yes, Jason. Like, her entire shtick is so fun. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, I think the movie has a little bit of charisma to it. I just like it. I just like the movie. I like yeah, thinking about movie. it. I like <laughs> sitting down and watching it. Um, a lot of the other performances kind of like leave something to be desired. But, oh yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I, that little boy out of that lake there, best performance. I'm giving that a three and a half out of, out of five again. Do what you will. Do we have any bonus ability points to award? I I gotta say, the internet is all on it with this cougar thing. I think cougars are the big thing right now, and I don't agree with it. Miss Voorhees is a gilf. I, listen, people can be into cougars as much as they want, but I want someone who was advertised so heavily in the 90s that they still know the Sock and Bopper theme song. <laughs> Sock and Boppers! Are you going to do it? Sock and Boppers! It's more fun than a pillow fight! Baby bottle pop! <laughs> okay, you can't! Every time... <laughs> Every time we break out into the Sock and Boppers theme, this is a whole thing. which happens a lot, uh, we immediately go into the Baby Bottle Pop theme as well. Um, and then I always want to take it to like a Fun Dip commercial that I saw that I never remember the exactly the lyrics to. I don't remember this part of the bit. 
I just always go through it in my head silently, and then I'm like, I'm not going to bring it up because it's nothing. Well, make it part of the bit. Well, I think I think the the bit is like you gotta like you gotta like lick it, dip it, and munch it. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on this movie? Uh, hold on, sorry. So your composite score is a ten out of fifteen. Uh, and my composite score is a 10, 10 and a half out of 15. So pretty close. Uh, yeah. This is... Fair enough. Still still behind Insidious for you. This is now my highest rated movie so far. Okay, Which yeah. I think it's accurate. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I think that's accurate to how we both feel. Uh, any final thoughts on this movie? Anything you didn't get to you that, that you want to cover? It's quintessential 80s. It's very fun. Yeah. Just don't think about it too hard. <laughs> I think um, there's a lot to kind of quietly dislike about this movie. Oh, um, sure. I quietly dislike everything every day of my life. <laughs> Same. But it's just a nice movie to just kind of throw on and head empty and watch it. I think, like, in terms of... I like of, the other ones a little bit more. I do think I like the sequels a little bit better. Like, um, two and especially three, I really like. Four is very good. Um, yeah. Maybe uh, we'll go back and watch Six sometime. Yeah, Six is the one to watch for sure. That's definitely, that's in our, like, um, Final Destination pantheon of, like, So Bad It's Good. We go through the Final Destinations quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Although I have to say, they're getting a little bit old. The last couple times, a little bit of the Final Destination magic is waning. Well, we gotta wait, like, six years then to do it again. (laughs) It's true. All right. (laughs) Bring me the movie sack. (laughs) All right, it's that part of the show where we figure out what the next movie is going to be. Opal, you're the keeper of the sack. That's my baby. It's your job. You curate um, movies in a literal physical sack. And then I pick one at random. There should be 12 in there, unless I lost count. Then there wouldn't be 12 in there. Well, sorry, there were 12 in there last time. Did you put a new one in? Yep. Okay, then there should still be 12. I'm selecting the movie. Rustling. Rustling my movies. Rustling my movies. All right. I think this is it. Choose wisely. All right. I return at the sack to you. It's going back in the lake. (laughs) (laughs) And next week, we will be watching Black Christmas 1974. This is a new one for me. I haven't seen this one either. So it'll be the first one that neither of us have seen before. All right, that's fun. Cool. Uh, I guess signing us off, I'm at putrid underscore imp on twitter and my other podcast level with you uh world of warcraft world of warcraft classic podcast is at uh level with you pod on twitter opal where can everybody find you i am milky cross on twitter and the podcast also has a twitter at scary pear and um i think that's a podcast that's it uh yeah see everyone next week for black christmas and bye get out of my house Get out! Get out!